Dr. Jason Garwood has spent his career seeking to both understand and apply the biblical worldview to every single area of life. His aim is to help pastors and churches to be better equipped to engage in the Great Commission by teaching Christians how to serve the kingdom of God and learn how to identify and respond to cultural idols. He is husband to Mary and the father of three remarkable children. Jason has authored several books, including The Politics of Humanism, Reconstructing the Heart, and Health for All of Life. He is the teaching pastor of Cross and Crown Church in Northern Virginia, where he and his family reside. He is also the founder and president of the Virginia Center for Public Theology, a nonprofit dedicated to defending Christian ethics in the town square. Recently, Jason was asked to join Children's Health Defense and now serves as the Faith Leaders Advocacy Liaison. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jason Garwood. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Christus Rex blogcast. And for the first time ever, we are going to be interviewing a very special guest, as you heard in the intro, the aforementioned Dr. Pastor Jason Garwood. Uh, Pastor, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. The weather's nice. Things are going uh, swimmingly here in Northern Virginia. <laughs> That's good to hear. So folks, a uh, little and strange uh, connection or providence. Uh, the area where Pastor leads his congregation is actually a place that I grew up as uh, as a child for three years of my life and absolutely loved it. So I figured uh, in a way to emphasize that connection, Pastor, I was going to throw a curveball to you right off uh, from the start, why should folks uh, move out to your neck of the woods and join the Christian community you're building over there? Well, I'll, boy, that's a good question. <laughs> um, two two reasons. One is it's always good to have a post-millennial beachhead very close to Washington, D.C. Amen. All right. And, and two, this is, you know, joining people of a like mind to try to infiltrate the culture, to push back against the idol of statism. You want people like that. And so if you're looking for that, here we are. <laughs> Amen. I could, I mean, that's, that was, I know that that was right on the spot. So I salute you for such a candid answer. And uh, at the <laughs> end, folks, you, we will be sure to uh, list all the ways you can contact Pastor Garwood. But tonight we are going to be emphasizing um, a particular topic that I've addressed in several episodes uh, or in several posts on the Christus Rex Instagram but haven't formally defined. And I was like, well, goodness, being a low and humble layman myself, I need to uh, call in the troops. I need to go to an ordained minister who is well-studied in the subject matter. So tonight we will be discussing Christian reconstruction. So pastor, in a nutshell, what is Christian reconstruction? Boy, that's a, uh, that's a scary, that's a scary word, I, what you just, a phrase. Because, <laughs> um, you know, people will inevitably say something like, well, why do we need to add anything to Christian, right? It's kind of like uh, born again, born again, Christianity, born again, Christian is superfluous. We don't have to, to be Christian is to be born again. Or when you say things like I'm a biblical Christian, well, is there such a thing as an unbiblical Christian? And, and the answer is yes. Just look at evangelicalism today. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, man. but you know, and, and it's it's a descriptive, of course. And when we say reconstruction, that's simply a, a a philosophical, a theological paradigm that connects the Bible to the real world. 
right? So we're, we're as opposed to maybe like a pietist Christian who wouldn't see the victory of Christ as being that uh, big of a deal other than he's savior in my heart, right? Or I know he's Lord, you know, between my ears, but other than that, uh, he has nothing else to do with politics or something like that. And usually when people think of Christian reconstruction, they think in terms of the heavy hitting uh, theonomy conviction, right? God's law and how it's applicable today. And um, so by, by definition, Christian reconstruction is simply a, what we believe to be a very faithful expression of Christianity, something that is faithful to the Bible, something that deals with presuppositions. Um, we have to have uh, presuppositionalism as one of the five tenets. Usually we kind of boil them down to five, but I like to, you know, I get, I get pushed back on this, but I've added some to it over, over the, over the years, but. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, you also have the sovereignty of God. You have uh, God's sovereignty at play in humanity, in culture, in the world, um, how he saves people, that sort of thing. Um, you also have covenantal history. Um, hi the history of the world is covenantally driven. God manages history through covenant. Um, and you also have, of course, theonomy, which is God's law. And how does God's, the ethics of God's kingdom, what does that look like for not just Christians, but the world, the culture, does it affect them? And then the, the fifth piece to the puzzle is, of course, post-millennialism, which is just a victorious eschatology. Um, I like to throw in reformational philosophy. I'm a big Herman Dewey fan. Uh, and then, of course, you have an application of that being abolitionism. But, but generally speaking, those five things are what we call Christian reconstruction. Uh, God's covenant, reformed theology. Uh, you have uh, theonomy, presuppositionalism, um, post-millennialism, and an understanding of, of covenantal history, the sovereignty of God. So wow. that's usually what I mean. And, you know, in all those things, people have to define them uh, in, in some degree or another, because you, you have Baptists who may have a different perspective on, on the covenant. Um, can you be Baptist and post-millennial? Well, yeah, you, you can, but I just don't think you're that consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I tell you what, Pastor, saying that, uh, bringing up reformational philosophy, presuppositionalism, abolitionism, post-millennialism, you've already stepped on everyone's toes in mainstream Christianity in America. So, Praise to you, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll yeah. be sure to not. Sorry. Yeah, I'll be sure to not give your address because I don't want you getting nasty letters or anything. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but in that, I, yeah. I I guess I got a couple of follow up questions, and I, I love that. I love how you made it incredibly practical, um, so that you know, though there were some big words thrown around there, the the average listener can go, okay, all right. So I could see where maybe I would agree, maybe I disagree. I guess my my initial follow up would be, um, what is it, Christian Reconstruction? What is it that we're seeking to reconstruct? Sure. Yeah, the, the word itself uh, assumes, a, obviously, a variety of things, but it assumes that there is a construct that is applicable, right? So what is it that we want to construct? Or what was there that's not there that we want to reconstruct? You know, and, yeah. and, and, and essentially what we're doing is trying to develop a, a comprehensive worldview. So that it's something that applies to every area of life. It's something that isn't just, you know, relegated to the church or the realm of Sunday morning, or uh, it isn't just something that you think about and, and ponder, you know, from time to time. What we're talking about is reconstructing the biblical blueprints of God's law 
as something that is good, you know, and, and treasuring it like David did in Psalm 19 and also in Psalm 119. In both passages, he extols God's law. He, he highly praises it and thinks it's a wonderful thing to meditate on, something that we should memorize and uh, ponder. You know, uh, those are the those are the things we want to reconstruct is an appreciation for God's law, the centrality of God's law in the world. And we want to see Jesus's kingdom, which he is supervising and superintending the world right now as king of kings and lord of lords. We want to see that manifest itself in certain ways. Mm. So we're re reconstructing essentially uh, every area of life that whatever is not in conformity to to Christ is is an idol. It needs to be toppled. It needs to be reformed. It needs to be reconstructed. And the big thing, and I understand why people say this, but we we do want to see civil government function a certain way. And I know there's a lot of talk about Christian nationalism and all of these topics, and 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 maybe we'll get there uh, at some point. But we, we do want to see the civil magistrate who is bound by God. It's an, an, an he. He serves as in, in an institution that God made. We want to see him honor the Lord in that. And so that may be one of the most defining features of Christian Reconstruction. The, and I love that, too, because we're just adding on to the list of objections against you because you brought up terms now like theonomy, Christian nationalism. Gracious, where do we where do we go from there? I think uh, <laughs> so with respect to the church today. It seems like everything you just laid out, I can't think of a well-intended uh, Bible-believing Christian, which, again, we talk about labels, but, you know, everyone should be Bible-believing. They're claiming to be a Christian. Um, th who would disagree with a lot of what you said? Like, why would we not want to see all things uh, brought into subjection to Christ? Why would we not love God's law? I've heard pastors say before, you know, uh, are you a theonomist? Oh, no, I hate God's law. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're saying it tongue-in-cheek, right? Um, yeah. Why? Why are there these objections? Why would Why would believers not want to uh, see all things put under Christ's feet, or see things like the civil government led or in, be influenced by Scripture? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think that the reason that they may hesitate, um, it, you know, you could boil it down to several factors. One of which is we've sort of lost our way in American evangelicalism. Uh, we've seen the rise of liberalism. We all know Machen's fight with that. We've we've seen modernism sort of give way to this postmodern. Uh, you know, I, I sort of agree with Dewey Bird on that. Postmodernism is just the opposite end of modernism. You had the, these these dialectics of of nature and freedom, and the scientific revolution gave us a lot of 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 the the natural law, if you will, the creation yeah. is ordered a certain way, but we want to be free from that. And so we're going to just, you know, the, the whole transgender movement and all this yeah. other nonsense that's going on. It's all connected to that. So we've, I think a lot of pastors today, because the seminaries are obviously not, not necessarily, they're not teaching it. We've lost our way from a true reformational worldview. We've lost um, some of what we get from the Puritans. We've certainly lost some of what we get uh, from Calvin himself, even before the, the time of the Puritans, um, a lot of that has been left behind, and no pun intended there, because dis <laughs> because di dispensationalism has been a major contributing factor to that as well. Um, not understanding the covenants and not understanding the relationship of law and gospel or law and grace. And, 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 and so I think people push back against that because it really, for them, it's a category error. They don't know they don't think presuppositionally. Uh, they, they, uh, you know, many of them don't have. They may have a, a very robust view of God's sovereignty, which is which is wonderful. 
um, that robust Calvinistic, you know, pipe hitting reformed theology. But, you know, covenantal history, I don't know, that seems new. Uh, and then you get to things like theonomy and post mill. And, and we just look around the world and say, hey, we had World War One, World War Two. This isn't getting any better. Have you seen statism lately? Yeah. Have you seen American politics? You, you guys are crazy pie in the sky people. And so I think they, they just they miss some of the presuppositions behind it. And that's why they, they are either unfamiliar with it or they they don't like it. So really, we could summarize all of that as the infiltration and embrace of false teachings ignorance uh and i've i myself have run into that the the language that we seem to speak in these circles is otherworldly to uh the common believer not because we're these geniuses but because we're just using what really as you're saying is old language of the church um and then lastly uh, basically idolatry we uh we might confront other believers with these things they might be on board spiritually with all things being subjected to christ or oriented around him we talk about the physical, real, and tangible world. Uh, it seems that the idols emerge. Like, well, no, that's that's the states, or uh, this this belongs to public education, or this belongs to this, that, and the other. So, uh, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head, Pastor. Um, these these terms that we're also thrown around now with these discussions, Christian nationalism, uh, the term theonomy is becoming more popular, postmillennialism. Do you see these? Uh, as I do, as simply just rebranding of terms from the Christian Reconstructionist movement of old? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Maybe some rebranding or maybe even some refinement. Mm -hmm. Because none of, none of you know, I, I'm sure if, if Rush Dooney or Bonson were alive today, uh, and, and I'm sure even Gary North would say this, and I think he probably has as much in many of his writings, have said, look, we are trying to give you tools. You're the ones that have to build. Mm. And, and, and they never really felt, none of them ever asserted, dared to assert that, well, they've figured it out and, and they, they know all there is to know. And, you know, if you just believe it, everything would be okay. Uh, they, they believe that these principles, these, you know, metaphysical conceptualizations had to be put into practice. They, it wasn't just, you know, robust Bible study for the sake of robust Bible study. It, it was practical tools for as North would say, tools for dominion. God's law is the tool for dominion. And so I think people are starting to maybe pick up on those terms and some of those ideas and then maybe develop them. I, 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 don't, I don't know entirely. There's still the whole Christian nationalist discussion is still an ongoing debate. Um, and behind that, I'm sure you've seen some of the stuff on, online, especially my Twitter feed is full of it. Uh, it's just debates between Presbyterians and Baptists. Yeah, honestly, think, yeah. You know, and there's a lot there, and there, there, there are a lot of assumptions and a lot of things we have to sort through. Um, but yeah, no, it's yeah. an ongoing thing. I, I think you're exactly right, particularly about mentioning those uh, men of, of yesteryear, whether it's Dr. Gary North, Rush Dooney, Bonson, uh, these figures of the Christian Reconstructionist movement. I think you're exactly right. They, if they were to speak to my, you know, Gen Z generation, they would say. Hey, again, this is not just meant to be academia. We, we have to put our hands in the plow uh, and get to work. And I think the discussions you're describing between Presbyterians and Baptists is it's funny because you have very zealous folks on either side or across the Twitterverse and yet very little action. And that's something that I've, I've loved a lot about studying Christian Reconstruction is it leans towards involvement, action. Let's get to work on this. Uh, some some. Critics through the years uh, have 
made uh, objections that I think can be reconciled with. One uh, notably came from many decades ago from the theologian uh, James B. Jordan, who I love a lot of his stuff, uh, but I found his criticisms of Christian Reconstruction a little strange or, or things that I think can be reconciled. One of them uh, was that we ought to prioritize the renewal of the church before the culture. And I think that a lot of Reconstructionists would raise their hand and say amen to that. Um, how do how do we reconcile those things, Pastor? How do we ensure that we're not, you know, jumping the cart before the her, the horse and seeing that the church herself is washed by the word before we see the culture washed? Yeah, and Peter says judgment starts with the household of God, and I, I think that principle has been something that even Rushduni spent an incredible amount of of uh, time explaining. That being the principle of regeneration. You know, Holy Spirit regeneration has to take root before any change happens in a culture. And, and you know, if, if, if you haven't read Henry Van Til's work on the Calvinist concept of culture, um, that, that was impactful for me because when you, when you start to see that culture is downstream from religious convictions, and, and Dewey talked a lot about this, and so did Kuiper. A lot of the Dutch Reformed guys would talk about the heart being the center and the heart is... The heart is the, as Proverbs 4 says, it's the wellspring of life. Everything comes from the heart, and that is the center of a man, and that's where he thinks, and that's where he reasons and feels and all of that. And, and so the, the importance of a Calvinistic concept of culture means that we have to have a Calvinistic concept of sin, of depravity, the need for repentance and holiness, um, and, and that includes in the church. It just has to be there. There is no changing other people in a top-down fashion, though admittedly, I do like Josiah's story. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I think there, you know, I don't think it's as simple as just saying top-down or not, yeah. you know. No, that's true, too. A, that's true. You know, um, Josiah's Reformation proving proving that point for sure. Yeah. But it, it does start with the church. It starts with us cleaning up our acts. It, it means we need to be pursuing holiness and righteousness. We need to have strong families, godly fathers in the home, godly wives and mothers. And um, we, we need children to be trained with Christian education. I mean, how many, mm. I, I wrote, I did a quick blog post years ago, how to change America in two easy steps and, and watch it to, to watch it collapse. All Christians pull your kids out of public school. Oh yeah. And, and, and one day the fact that they're still in public school, yeah. it's just, and you, and you look around and wonder like, why is the culture falling apart? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe the culture quote, you know, the culture, like a reification fallacy here, like the culture itself that's out there, like it's going to just disciple itself into godliness yeah, somehow. Exactly. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So I do, I think James Jordan's critiques, I, I, I think he did have some great points to present against Bonson. Um, to think about, but I, like you said, I don't think it's irreconcilable. I think yeah. we can, I think we can have both, you know. Yeah, or North, North, uh, and a number of his works would say, "Hey, politics four, <laughs> with with the gospel yeah. and all of its impacts being the first three of those tenets." So I'm glad that we agree on that, and I think you laid that out very well. I think studying, uh, particularly Rush Dooney's works on public education, was the first indication to me of like, oh goodness. Um, there's an unchecked idol there. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the first article I was given on him was an excerpt from Sovereignty, and it was laying out um, his interpretation of the second commandment in relation to, hey, we shall not serve these false gods to include the state. And he connected that all the way to education. And I was like, goodness, um, every time that an evangelical cringes when they hear another Christian say, hey, your, your kids shouldn't be in public school, 
I, there's not going to be a verse, a chapter and verse for you to cite your indignation. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's where I realized, oh goodness, like there's a whole pantheon of idols that I have uh, unchecked here. Um, so I, I think I, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that I, I'm glad to see. There seems to be more advocacy for uh, leaving pub- the public education system or a host of other problematic institutions. But it, there clearly still is a lot of work to be done in that area. How do you mm-hmm. um, exhort your, congrega- your congregation or other Christian families to consider that issue and other idolatrous ones? Yeah, when we planted Cross and Crown Church, it was five years ago. Well, it'll be six years this fall. We came in 2017. I was pastoring in Michigan at a, at a larger church, and uh, God impressed a lot of this on my soul. And we thought we're gonna we're gonna start something fresh. And from the ground up, it's always been, you know, public schools are satanic. <laughs> you know, they teach humanistic humanistic doctrine. So we, we it's sort of a culture we built here. So we're we're not gonna really run into somebody who, oh, I had no idea you guys were that you know, upset with yeah. <laughs> government indoctrination. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, tied to that, I was just thinking as you were asking that question, um, tied to that is the issue of our, our children. We have uh, quite a few young families in our church and we're thinking through, well, what does it look like for them in the future? Because as you know, the whole system is broken, even universities. We go every other week to George Mason University to exhort students. And it, it has been an incredible school year there. Um, and seeing fruit, praise God praise for some God. of the stories that are happening. Um, but I, uh, my kids, no way. You don't need, like this idea that you need a college education to make any money is just absurd. Yeah. And, 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 and with economic collapse happening all around us, uh, there's really no need for it. And so we've been thinking even as a church, well, how do we help our children develop a trade, right? And something that is useful. That's not just a gender studies degree that you don't do anything <laughs> with. You know. No, I speak as someone who has one of those useless degrees in political science. Uh, I could I could further testify, and I myself went to uh, allegedly the number one public university for three of the four years that I was there, and I left I left that institution thinking to myself exactly what you articulated of Oh my goodness, uh, my wife and I have talked about this a lot. Like objectively, not a whole lot of skills. I could write you some great papers. I could do management, but a thing of uh, even our, you know, our my my father and his father and his father before him, of, of men and women who had tangible skills for the tangible world. Uh, I think you're exactly right. The system that we have participated in has created the myth of the the magical degree that'll get you any job you need, except when it doesn't. And uh, as you said, look around. We have arrived exactly at the destination the system was designed to uh, land us at. Uh, but at this point in the conversation, Pastor, we've, we've defined Christian Reconstruction. We have talked about some objections with regard to it. We've talked about current discussion and implications. Uh, why, in, in all of this, if we were gonna round all this up, we were gonna summarize uh, the grand point. Why is Reconstructionist thinking needed for the church today? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good good question. I would say there are probably several layers to it. Um, first and foremost, you look at the immediate need around us, and it, we just immediately need sanity. Yeah. And like clown world is here. We, we all see it. We get it. And so we need sanity, which when I say we need sanity, we need biblical thinking, right? And maturation. We need the wisdom from God. 
uh, to navigate it because our culture right now is is drunk on its lusts and we're, you know, and they're stumbling in the streets. So what do we do? We need to respond with biblical principles. We need to know our Bibles. And, and, and I think developing things like presuppositional, well, usually we think of it as presuppositional apologetics. I like to call it presuppositionalism, an ism that just kind of helps define the world we live in. Basic questions like creation, you know, you, it's amazing how many people have bought into the theistic evolution thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just it's incredible. I, I ostensible Christians at the college campus. Yeah, I, we don't have to choose between the two. We can be both, and it's just mind numbing. Yeah, absolutely. But, but again, thinking presuppositionally, thinking about creation, um, thinking about the Imago Dei when we're made in the image of God, and and it's impressive how many people are unfamiliar with that concept. And actually what it means too. think about the radical nature of the fall and what sin is um, uh, and, and also of Christ's redemption and, and how sins are fully and finally paid for. And you can be forgiven. You can have salvation. You can have deliverance. And out of that, you can manage your home well. You know, you can do work for the glory of God and, and your labor. Paul says in First Corinthians 15 is not in vain. Um, so I think we need Christianity. I think we need Christian reconstruction in the church. Because it's going to provide things that the pietism that has run through the church the past 100 plus years, it's, it's going to need to have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. Because if, if, the, if the culture around us collapses and they're looking around and saying, okay, Christians, you're here. What do we do? How do we build this thing back up? Yeah. Well, let's just do the deism thing again. <laughs> you yeah. know, let's not acknowledge Christ in our constitution. Yeah. Let's try to be neutral. Let's try to keep religion completely out of politics. And, and you... you you start to experiment again and we wouldn't have an answer. We just wouldn't no. today because, well, that's the old Testament and we don't need that. Yeah. And so I, I believe that Christian reconstruction provides the answers. It provides answers in, in the home. It provides answers in our churches. It provides answers in the culture and it takes seriously the Lordship of Christ. And, and I think that that is what uh, the Puritans really attempted to do. Um, they tried to take the Lordship of Christ seriously and apply that, even though, some of them had some wonky eschatology. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I'm glad that you you kind of rounded it off that way because I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this who, again, they uh, they are drawn in by a lot of the appeals, but they're now they're thinking, okay, I gotta I gotta take this seriously. I want to know where I can go to to study this more. But as you were saying that, uh, it's it's really providential because uh, on our Instagram uh, page, in association with the Post Militia, which is a, a conglomeration of a lot of pages. Uh, this whole next month, we're about to be trying to convince uh, a very popular page, uh, Redeemed Zoomer, uh, try to convince him to be presuppositionalist. So when you were talking mm. about, and he's a the, quote unquote theistic evolution guy, uh, we'll come back to that. Uh, but I was like, wow, he doesn't even know that we're going to do that. You, you laid that out there. So I'd like to close with uh, three areas. Um, that The one that I just mentioned with, with theistic evolution and presuppositionalism, we could come to that second. But the first thing, and I, and I think this is really pertinent because, correct me if I'm wrong, Christian Reconstruction, I think, is the only um, thought paradigm that really attacks secularism for what it is. And what it is, is an alternative religion. I find it very, very hard to convince evangelicals that, no, 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 it, it really is a religion and it has a pantheon of gods. How do we convince other believers that... Um, whether it's the education discussion of like, hey, you wouldn't send your kid to uh, an Islamic school. Why are you sending them to a secular humanist school? And they say, 
oh, well, it's not a religion. Or you wouldn't go live in an Islamic country and become a citizen. Why would you tolerate the secular humanism from the state? And they say, but it's not a religion. How do we convince other believers that no, secular mm -hmm. humanism is a satanic religion? Yeah. Well, it, it, it does boil down to teaching people how to identify idolatry. Mm -hmm. And it, and it goes back to something as basic as the first commandment <laughs> and, and the second one you pointed out earlier mm -hmm. um, and, and helping people see. And, and this is why I, this is why the framework of Christian Reconstruction can aid in this is because we're able to see it as like a grid, almost like a pair of glasses we put on. And we were able to see through the fact that there is no neutrality, right? I mean, that's Bonson drove that home. And anybody who's ever, ever heard him say anything, you've heard him say that there's no neutrality. And you're able to then say, okay, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. I, I, I know that the government school is either serving Christ or working against Christ. You know, you're helping them see the idolatry. And Paul makes it very clear that we're supposed to tear down these vain speculations. You know, we're, we're supposed to take that which is in opposition to Christ and make sure that it is confronted with the gospel. And so you can't play the pietist game of neutrality. You have to see, and this is, we don't have time for this, but that's the trouble of the two kingdom oh, absolutely. advocates. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just sort of a bifurcated worldview um, and, and it's just chopped up. No, Christ is, is Lord of all and presuppositionally even the magistrate is God's design. Mm. And, and so and education belongs to God. All of these aspects of life, uh, as Dewey Roberts would call them, these aspects belong to the created order. God has given it to us, and we're supposed to see them honor Christ. And if they're not, they should be, and we must be relentless in making sure that they do. Mm. Yeah, I would love to, at a future, uh, on a future date, work through that a little bit more with you about two kingdoms theology. I hate when people make a distinction between radical two kingdoms and then two kingdoms, <laughs> because really what we're doing is we are either apologizing for or compromising on the fact that it's, it's used against uh, today's post mills all the time of like, well, the reformers were two kingdoms guys or the reformers. And this will lead to the, the second point. The reformers were Thomistic or they were classical and they're apologetics and scholastic. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. And so, uh, they want us to believe we're in a pigeonhole. Like, do you, do you, you know, continue the reform quote unquote reform tradition, or are you trying something new? And that's a whole other episode. We would have to, <laughs> I would love to go through that with you as well, but I'm glad that you, yeah. uh, you handled that the way you did of, of saying, no, 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 it, secular humanism is another deity because man is created as not homo sapien, but homo adorian, the man who worships. Um, and we all orient our lives around something and bow to it. Think about it have desires for it. Um, so I'm glad that we uh, were able to just mm -hmm. describe that. Um, so the second thing is mm -hmm. the redeemed Zoomer conflict aside, if you were to confront another believer on the street and they have no idea what presuppositionalism is, but all that, that they all that they've heard is it means that you have to abandon all the rest of academia because a uh, totally depraved man can't know anything. How would you correct those errors and yet also demonstrate that presuppositionalism is the most uh, obedient to the scriptures in explaining reality. Mm, yeah. 
well, you know, obviously you go to Romans one, <laughs> it's a, sort of a no slam dunk, you know, no brainer on that one. Yeah. The, the unbeliever does know they suppress the truth and it's not so much knowledge, it's sin. And, and I think that that's where the post enlightenment rationalism comes in because people think, well, unbelievers just need to know certain pieces of information. So we will articulate that and provide evidence to back it up. And therefore then they will come around to it eventually. Uh, and I think presuppositionalism assumes that actually they do know certain things. The problem is that keyword suppression. Mm -hmm. They're suppressed. They're suppressing it. And it's an active suppression that is unfortunately the condition of the heart before regeneration. Mm -hmm. It is a, a, a heart that is made of stone. It needs to be regenerated and renewed. Um, and so you can talk information all day long and I do it at the college every other week yeah. and you can go into carbon dating and all of this other stuff. But at the end, it's just like, look, you can't even account for knowledge. You can't account for sensory perceptions. You can't account for predication or any of these things that we do. Um, and so the kind of what I would say to the guy on the street is, look, you are I appreciate your your zeal for wanting people to know Jesus Christ as savior. Um, but they're not going to get there by you with your cute arguments. Yeah. You're going to have to cut to the foundations. And that's obviously what presuppositional thinking does. It, it's, it starts with the triune God. He's in, in Vantilian language. He's self-contained. He's absolute. He's personality. Um, and then when we sinned uh, in Vantil's language, we have this epistemological pluralism. We have decided that there are more than one option for how to know things yeah. and, and, and you kind of build from there that knowing things starts with revelation. God reveals himself in the created word, the, the uh, incarnate word, the inscripturated word. Um, and you kind of deal with there, deal with a, because the other thing too is, is this is kind of something I've, I feel like I can harmonize Van Til and Dewey Bird a little bit, even though they had their disagreements. Hmm. Um, you, you know, what, what Van Til meant by creator creation, creation the distinction there, Dewey Bird, applied that to the law aspects of life. And he, he saw all of the created order. And what men do is they try to absolutize one aspect, like Karl mm -hmm. Marx absolutized yeah. the economic aspect. And, and Dewey called it a reductionism. And, it, and you reduce all of life down to these things. And, and modern men want to reduce everything down to, to rationalism yeah. and, and thinking. And, uh, and if there's anything we've seen with Clown World is men don't think yeah. clearly. <laughs> So exactly. if you're going to reduce it down to that, then how do you explain? You can't. You have to just start chopping up the psychology books. Yeah, we used to think this was a psychological disorder. It's not anymore. It's just a free choice. Yeah. And, and Goodness. here we are. I tell you what, Pastor, we need to get for you a Dutch Mount Rushmore with, you know, Van Til, Dewey Bird, Kuiper, all these guys. Goodness. I would love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I guess the old phrase, if he ain't Dutch, he ain't much, is ringing true in your studies. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you, you, I, I, loved, I, I loved your response in that. And do you think part of the problem is, um, because in our, in our disagreements with other folks, uh, I've heard from Christians, well, Thomism or the classical scholastics are just as valid as presuppositional. Um, and it's, and it's interesting because then where the conversation leads to is exactly what you described is it's almost as if they are believing as professing Calvinists that we can have men reason to salvation. When in reality, while, while in one hand, that's not true. And the other, they're forgetting that apologetics is the defense of the faith. The offense of the gospel is an entirely different thing. Do you think that people blur the lines of what apologetics is really for yeah, I think so. I think that's a fair, a very fair assessment and what you're saying. 
and even even like when you you know the the classical apologetics versus presupposition that that age old debate that you're describing, it it's sort of I think that it kind of misses misses the point. Um, and I'm not don't anybody who's listening don't mishear me. Like I don't think everybody who's ever debated that is just you know silly. And why would you do it? I don't mean to imply that. I'm just simply saying that that uh, certain aspects of like the teleological argument or or some some of the things that even you know Aquinas would himself would argue for, not necessarily entirely problematic. Um, what is problematic, of course, is some of the dialecticism that that Thomism introduces that, mm-hmm. you know, I think is dangerous and bad. And and that's, you know, De- Dewey Bird's critique of that is incredible, bar none. But I, I think that there is a place for discussing evidences. I think we all acknowledge that there's, there's a, you know, and, and it's not like I've never even on the street at the college, you know, I'll use some of those things. I get questions all the time about the manuscripts of the Bible and how did we get them and, you know, how can we trust them and yada, yada. And sometimes I'll entertain it and and, and go with it. But at the end of the day, I know there's a deeper issue here and we need to we need to cut to the chase here. We got to get to the foundations and we, we have to uh, attack those things. So but what motivates us is the ground motive of creation, fall, redemption. Hmm. And we, when we when we start putting scholastic categories on that, I think we, it gets muddled. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. And I, and I love how. So on one hand, I was asking you about the distinction we ought to make with apologetics versus evangelism. Um, which really points out another uh, another point of knowledge that I really try to stress to folks that you've already articulated is that presuppositionalism is also more than just apologetics. As you said, it's, it's a way of seeing the world um, biblically, which leads to my last question, because I know we're running out of time here, um, is in the grand scheme of things. So we've, we've just laid out Christian Reconstruction, talked a little about apologetics. Um, in the current situation in America, as you said, people are debating Christian nationalism and what form would that look like to have a Christian nation and see the world discipled. What does Christian Reconstruction bring to the table as compared to the, the quote-unquote magisterial tradition um, or these other ideas of what a Christian nation would look like? What would a reconstructed quote-unquote Christian nation look like? Right. Um, you, you do have kind of a delineation between what what sort of establishment are we putting in place? Are we putting in something that is like a, a new constitution? And, and I liked Gary North's proposals. I you know obviously we should acknowledge the lordship of Christ first and foremost in any document we ever produce. And many many uh, states had that, and some still do uh, for sure. Um, or are we looking at just like a culturally Christian? Yeah, we can have baptized pluralism. It's fine. You know, we don't have to get too down into minutia of details on Baptists and Presbyterian and Anglican and so forth, so forth. But um, I, I think with that topic is Reconstructionism would say, look, presuppositionally, you know, I, I get the, especially with Wolf's book on this topic and the Thomism that's there, I get how he's getting there, but. I think that there's a better way to get there that's presuppositionally informed, right? That does deal with covenantal history, that does deal with the sovereignty of God and takes very seriously the uh, the Lordship of Christ and the victory that he intends to accomplish on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and that's a distingu- distinguishing feature, I think, of, of a Christian nationalist perspective. And I, I'm not jealous for the term, honestly, either. <laughs> I, 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 It's just like, 
you know, it sounds Hitler-esque, you know, yeah. that's how it's at least, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, that's how it's characterized in the, in the, in the news media and all of that. But, um, but I think Christian, Christian reconstruction would say, well, it's not enough to just say, well, we need the natural law of God or whatever we, 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 no, we do need the law of God. We need, we need the blueprints of Exodus and the case laws. Mm-hmm. You know, we do need the blueprints of Deuteronomy and, um, we need to see, uh, justice prevail and justice starts somewhere and it starts with God who is a just God. And, um, so when, when you, when you speak vaguely about, yeah, oh, it should be, it should be Christian and natural law is sufficient. And then it kind of becomes, well, not exactly. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know, there's more to it than that. Yeah. I, there was reading Wolf's book, aside from the fact, now, now granted, grand scheme of things, appreciate it for the time, but it was for an almost 500 page book. The fact that what you just described, the ambiguity over and over and over again, I was like, yeah, this is where we're going to have problems. Because in one sense, if all of his presuppositions are true, we ought to just dial the clock back to the magisterial era and see what happens. And if we do that, we're going to arrive right back here um, at the at the present condition of society. So, uh, mm-hmm. goodness gracious, yeah. And and I was going to say real quick too, and I don't need I don't need Aquinas and his view of the aseity of God. I have bobbing, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and uh, and and so I I I don't need the faulty assumptions of Aristotelian metaphysics brought into my Christianity. Absolutely. And I know I know that's a whole other debate, yeah, it but is. Yeah. <laughs> but that it's tied to it. I mean, it's it all of those are the presuppositions. So you know, no, it is you're exactly it is. right. And I that was something I also was desiring more from the book was chapter and verse, please, because a lot of it was either highly speculative, uh, speculative. Or, or again, just abstract, uh, and we want to see the, you know, the feet of the gospel to carry the good news rooted on actual soil, going and doing yeah. actual things. So I, I, yeah, I'm right there with you on some of those um, objections or concerns, perhaps. But at the end of the day, um, what does a step in the right direction look like um, for the church mobilizing around Christian reconstruction. I think some of the things we're starting, I mean, the fact that we're even having, for example, a, a Christian nationalism conversation on, uh, you know, on a wide scale, aside from the, you know, accusations of the, of the unbelievers, because like you said, I think they, they, they're totally trying to hijack that term and throw it around. Mm-hmm. I think Christians are going to embrace it, just be like, you know, I sure I'll be that even harder, you know, but uh, us, the fact that we're actually, it's not just fodder, it's not just an insult, but now there are Christians across ecclesiastical tradition taking to the pen to work some of these ideas out. Do you see that as like a win for Christian Reconstruction, essentially? I do, yeah. And it's almost, it's, I hate to say it because it's like, you know, all any press is good press. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Oh, you it's and it's funny from my perspective, you have for years people saying theonomy's dead and they won't stop talking about yep. it. <laughs> well usually if if it's dead, they don't talk about it anymore, but it's definitely not. It's gaining traction. Um and I think that's a a, a huge win. But you you kind of started earlier earlier in the question mentioning like the church and how maybe we should uh respond. I don't remember exactly what you were getting yeah. at, but I will say this, because it made me think. If in my a friend of mine asked me this, he said, you know, if we multiplied your church, you know, 400 times over in your state, what would change? You know, would would abortion clinics still be in existence? You know, would uh, would politicians get away with, you know, 
sometimes murder, yeah. <laughs> actual murder. Yeah. Um, would would those things happen? And 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 I, you know, that's a good question to ask. Like, if, if we multiplied our church, would it make a difference? And I think Christians need to be thinking at the church at the church level. How do we how do we make sure that we have you know food supplies and gardens and developing trades and kind of we we have to starve the beast somehow. And if we can create a, a sort of you know Christian culture that's underneath all of that, I think then when everything else collapses, we'll be ready to go, and it will be just simple. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we knew it was going to collapse because you guys did not worship Jesus Christ. Yeah. Maybe that's how it's that maybe that's how you get the uh, the dispensationals on board. You just tell them we're doomsday prepping, and they'll be like, "Oh, perfect! That's you know, we'll jump right on board with you." Yeah, yeah. And then when Jesus doesn't rapture the church, it's like, "Oh well, we told you." But <laughs> you did want to listen. <laughs> Goodness. Well, Pastor, I, I want to thank you so much again for your time and and walking through all that. I I had a great time learning from you, and clearly, I need to read more of the Dutch guys. Uh, but also, too exciting <laughs> to hear. Um, in my mind, a, a role model and a leader and a shepherd who's seeing to it that not just you know young guys like me know these things and are equipped, but your congregation specifically, uh, and hopefully more and more in the future. Is is there anything else uh, that you'd like to say on the subject? And most importantly, where can folks uh, reach out to you, see your content, and so on and so forth? Yeah, sure. No, I thank you. I thank you for your time and, and your bit of encouragement there. And and we continue to press on here in Northern Virginia. A lot of people left us. They went to Florida. Uh, they they, had a, they decided that 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 uh, DeSantis land was much better. Um, but th- you know things are are looking up in Virginia. I think a lot of people are um, you know hopeful. They see uh, they I think they see things happening here, which is good. And you know hopefully that's something we can contribute to. Um, but uh, you know, I, I appreciate your time. I really do. And thank you for that. Uh, our church is Crossing Crown Church, crosscrownchurch.com. That's the website. Uh, I also am the founder and president of the Virginia Center for Public Theology, which is uh, a whole nother discussion yeah. on why public theology, what does that even mean? Uh, obviously influenced by the work of Kuiper. Um, and uh, you can find, I'm usually, I'm on Gab, Twitter, Facebook, you know, I'm somewhere on there. Yeah. So you can find me that way. Um, but yeah, that's love to hear, uh, hear from you again in the future. I love your posts and everything that's been going on there. So keep up the good work. Appreciate that pastor. And, uh, yeah, folks, you could reach them on Instagram. That's how I did. Very simple. Um, and I think you're absolutely right about the position of your church, the state of Virginia. I will say as a new Floridian myself, don't be fooled America. <laughs> I mean, so DeSantis is doing a lot of good stuff, but it's a battle every day. We have all the same drag queen story hours as every other state right now. So we still need to commit to the work of reconstruction as well. Uh, mm. Thank you again, pastor. And I uh, hope you folks enjoy. Remember that sin is dead. Death is next. And Ave Christus Rex. Brothers in Christ, here's a quick word from the Stoic Christian Affiliates. Are you tired of struggling on your own to set goals and maintain accountability? Are you looking for a group of men who could push you in sanctification towards Christ our Lord daily? Do you want to learn from their wisdom, practice their techniques, and develop your own? If so, it's time to join the Stoic Christian Fellowship, where men are trained to become men of God. 
click the link below, go to stoicchristian.com backslash fellowship backslash, or click the stoic links on the Christus Rex blog page under the learn more tab. Thank you.